This is Dr. Jessica Castle, Associate Professor at the Harold Center Diabetes Health Center at Oregon Health and Science University and Associate Editor of the Diabetes Technology and Therapeutics Journal. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the benefits and values of professional CGM. We will be reviewing the differences between professional and personal CGM, blinded and unblinded use cases, as well as the basics of CGM data interpretation and reimbursement. We will also highlight the Dexcom G6 professional system and discuss candidates for personal as compared to professional CGM. I would like to introduce our two experts today, Dr. Diana Isaacs, who is an endocrinology clinical pharmacist specialist and CGM program coordinator at the Cleveland Clinic, and Dr. Daniel Katzelnik, who is an endocrinologist at Diabetes and Metabolism Specialists. Dr. Isaacs, can you tell us a little bit about the difference between personal and professional CGM? Sure. So personal is owned by the person with diabetes, and so it's generally used for long-term use versus professional is owned by the clinic. And so professional is used on a more short-term basis. Generally, you need at least 72 hours to bill for the procedure. And depending on the specific device, it can be worn up to 14 days. There's some other differences. For example, many personal devices are compatible with smartphones and insulin pumps versus that can be more limited depending on the specific type of professional device. And then insurance coverage varies a little bit too. So we know for personal, there can be some more barriers sometimes to insurance coverage versus the coverage for professional use is very wide. And most people with diabetes, regardless of their medication regimen, can usually qualify to have professional CGM several times a year. And can you explain the difference between blinded and unblinded CGM? Yeah, that's a great question. So blinded is when a person does not see their results, meaning they wear the device, but they do not know what their numbers are. It is recording data that whole time, but they do not get any alerts if glucose goes high, if glucose goes low. They're not seeing anything while they are wearing it, but the data will be recorded and it'll be downloaded when they return to the clinic. So this is different from unblinded. Unblinded is when a person sees everything. They see the numbers they can see trend arrows, they can be alerted for hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia. So when a person wears an unblinded device, they're learning a lot while wearing it versus the blinded, they're not seeing anything. So the learning doesn't really occur until they go through the downloaded data. And can you describe for us the Dexcom G6 Pro device? Yeah, so this device actually offers both blinded and unblinded CGM. And so it's really more advanced than the previous version, the G4, in that now it is a disposable transmitter. So that has helped the cost go way down and also the ease of use with the clinic because you don't have to worry about a person returning the equipment anymore because it's a one-time disposable use sensor. In terms of wear time, it can be worn up to 10 days, and in the unblinded mode, it can be paired up with a person's smartphone so that they can see trend arrows, they can be alerted for hypo or hyperglycemia. But alternatively, if the practice wants to do a blinded version, sometimes some practices want to do that, maybe to find out if there's hypoglycemia without a person reacting to it. In that case, they can choose to do a blinded version. So both options are possible. Excellent. Thank you. Dr. Castellan, can you describe for us who you think is a candidate for personal CGM as compared to professional CGM? 
Certainly, yeah. There's obviously type ones are pretty much all good candidates for using CGMs across the board. And pretty much all type ones should be on a personal use device. But we know that in the world nowadays, not every type one is currently on a personal use CGM. And there are a lot of different reasons why sometimes it can't be insured, stuff like that. But there's a fairly large group of type ones who are probably just a little hesitant to use certain technologies, might be a little bit resistant or technophobic, something along those lines. And they might want to have kind of a try it before you buy it type of feeling where they get a chance to see what CGM can do for them. And this offers them a chance to do it. So professional have that advantage where you can get a type one to at least taste test it. For type twos, Personal CGMs not as commonly used. There are certainly a lot of type 2s that will benefit from personal use CGM, but is covered specifically in Medicare patients for those who are on mealtime insulin, taking multiple shots per day, who are on a pump. So there are very specific Medicare guidelines on those patients. And professional use is available for essentially all the type 2s. It's covered for the vast majority of patients, whether they're on mealtime insulin or not, that can be very helpful for both guiding dietary changes, other medication changes, dosage of insulin or other drugs as necessary. And Dr. Kastelnik, what do you think the value of professional CGM is for providers that are seeing patients with diabetes? How in your practice do you use it to help guide your patients on how to best manage their diabetes? That's a great question. CGM offers an insight into what the patient is doing and how they're controlling their diabetes in a way that no other technology does. And there's really almost no part of their diabetes management regimen that can't be affected by good CGM data. I find that almost all of my patients, we've had conversations over the years about how to control diabetes with the diet, what the dietary changes that are recommended are. And while most patients probably know what they need to do, their overall compliance sometimes needs a little bit of work. And as they see what actually happens with their blood sugars when they're wearing a CGM, they see the effects of those maybe less than ideal meal choices. They really start actually making lifestyle changes. So I find it's very helpful on the lifestyle portion of diabetes. But in addition, it affects everything that we do from a medication dose perspective as well. You can see the effects of different insulins that the patient's on, their mealtime versus their long acting. You can adjust the dose of those medications. You can see effects on mealtime spiking that might be treated with drugs like GLP-1s or other medications. So we tend to find that there are a lot of those patients that you can make changes based on that data, both in the diet, the lifestyle, and the like. And then you can find areas where there's miscommunications in the data, right? So occasionally a patient will tell you, but I check my blood sugar and it shows X, Y, or Z, and that sounds pretty good, but the A1C is high. Find out where those issues occur, that then you can start making some changes to improve that as well. And do you find that it's useful both for people using insulin as well as those patients that are not using insulin? Yes, that's exactly right. In the type 2 population, while we have a lot of patients who are on insulin, certainly not all of them are. And even in the non-insulin using population, CGM data can help affect their diabetes management significantly. As mentioned earlier, it'll affect the dietary choices that we do, and you can choose lots of other medications besides insulin nowadays that have major effects on blood sugar control. And you can find medicines that are going to be a better fit for one patient versus another based on that kind of information. I just want to add that I completely agree with all that. And we find that it's very beneficial for people, let's say, just only taking metformin or even not on drug therapy who are trying to lose weight and get to see the direct effects of, for example, 
choosing a meal like oatmeal or cereal versus another day having a piece of toast with peanut butter and having a more balanced with protein. So that's been very motivating for people to lose weight. And we actually recommend professional CGM for all our patients going through our weight management program that have diabetes. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point for my practice as well. I think it's both useful for personal CGM if people see it in real time, but also with professional CGM, you can show people the trends and see the impact of different foods, especially if you have someone keep a food diary while they're on the professional CGM, you can see the impact of different foods and review that with patients at your office visit. Dr. Kastelnik, how good of a reflection of glycemia do you think a hemoglobin A1C is, and what value does CGM add on top of an A1C? Well, the A1C is a powerful and helpful test in large portions of diabetes management, but by no means is it the end-all, be-all of what we do nowadays. The A1C is, at best, just an average blood sugar, and how reflective it is of the actual level of control that your patient's under is sometimes better, sometimes worse. Patients who are on complicated regimens, regimens that can cause low blood sugars, if they come in with a halfway decent A1C, it might be because they're having a lot of lows that bring the average down. The A1C, how it correlates to an average blood sugar is going to be somewhat variable from one person to the next. And so while it's a good test and a helpful test in our overall understanding of diabetes and the way we communicate it with our patients, it does leave something to be desired. Having something where you can see their readings all the time, at night, during the day, after meals, at different time periods, and be able to show that to the patient gives them much more information and there's a much better sense as to the overall level of control that the person has. And clearly, as we move forward in diabetes management, we are really getting more and more focused on time and range. And that is going to be kind of where we start talking about diabetes control over the long term as that becomes more and more our standard of care. And what do you see the role of CGM in terms of using it blinded as compared to unblinded? That's a great question. It's great to have the option to do both. We have used blinded CGM in our patients for a relatively long time, and it has a role. It is a very helpful tool. It is fast. We can get it on the patient quickly. We can not have to have a very long explanation about what is going on. So it's easy for the patient. It's easy for the office. But you are always going to be looking at that data retrospectively. The patient has no information real time while it's going on to really get the maximum out of that download when you finally do review it for the patient. You need something, as was mentioned earlier, like a food log or something like that to be able to review with it to really be able to see what's going on. And as we know, some patients are going to be better about a food log. Some are going to be worse. So while a blinded CGM has a role, it's nice to be able to do it unblinded as well. Unblinded CGM allows the patient to see what's going on real time and be able to make real-time adjustments as that's going on. And it gives them the power to be able to really kind of control this over the long term. Do you see that with some patients, when they use professional CGM, they decide that information is very useful and so then they go on to use personal CGM? Yeah, I think that's something that happens very frequently. When a person uses a professional use device, they see the data, you go over it with them, you explain kind of how having all this information can help them get the diabetes under better control. They'll often go on and make some lifestyle changes. 
but whether those lifestyle changes are truly sustainable over the long term, you really do need to have continuous information. If the patient just has a short snapshot during the time that they use the professional use device, the ability to make those changes over the long term is somewhat limited. So we do know that patients who are on long-term use of CGM, you do see significant improvements. There have been multiple published studies as far as this is concerned, the Gold study, the Gursky study, things like that that have shown improvements in A1C, time and range, et cetera, with long-term use of CGM. The fact is, though, that this really probably comes mostly from real-time CGM. The patient needs to be able to see the data that's going on, get continuous feedback, and be able to make the adjustments that they need to do to improve their blood sugar control, but continue to make those changes over and over again and focus on good control over the long term. And you need to be able to stay on it over the long term to make that happen. Now, as a reminder to our audience, the GOLD study was a crossover trial published in JAMA, which showed in people with type 1 diabetes with A1C levels that were not at GOLD, that the use of Dexcom CGM compared to conventional treatment resulted in a mean reduction of A1C levels of 0.43%. The study by Dr. Vergersky and colleagues was published in Diabetes Care, and that showed in 100 adults with type 2 diabetes who were not on prandial insulin that the use of intermittent real-time CGM also significantly improved A1C levels. Dr. Isaacs, can you describe the workflow of how you incorporate professional CGM in your office? Yeah, we actually do it as a shared medical appointment. We feel like a lot of the learning that comes from CGM can be even more enhanced through a group environment. So it's typically facilitated by me and a diabetes educator, a nurse or dietitian. And then we have a scribe and we like to include four to six patients. And what we do is a two part. So part one, we place the professional CGM and then we bring everybody back after seven days. But in this format, we also provide a lot of education because what we find is that many people are not aware of their glycemic targets. Many people, you know, they've been doing finger sticks for years and really don't even know what the numbers mean, which is shocking. But we see this in almost every class that we have. So we go through that. We also do a review of treatment of hypo and hyperglycemia. And then after seven days, we download the devices and we review them together as a group. This allows us to fit more patients in. And then also we find a lot of the learning is very similar. Like we described earlier when certain foods spike glucose more than others. Other examples are how a person treats hypoglycemia. It's very common. We see rebound hyperglycemia. And so those different types of patterns, people learn from each other. And then we also make medication adjustments through that. And then often this does serve as a bridge to lead to personal CGM. And then in addition to that, for anyone who just doesn't want to be in a group or maybe who isn't the most appropriate for a group, we do individual professional CGM as well. And Dr. Isaac, can you describe for us how you interpret the CGM reports? What are the glucose metrics that you're looking at? So the ambulatory glucose profile or the AGP is like the EKG of diabetes and that has everything on there. It has all the patterns where we can see where glucose levels are most of the time. There's something called a glucose management indicator or GMI, which is essentially an estimated A1C. 
so when we go through that, we'll compare that to their last A1C and we can see the progress. And then the big new term is that time and range, which for most non-pregnant people is going to be 70 to 180. And so with the idea being trying to increase that time and range as much as possible with a goal of at least 70% for most people, 50% for higher risk people. And so we talk about those types of goals and then where they're tracking. One of the things I also like to do is look in the day-to-day data, or you know, you could also use like a spaghetti graph, which may have all the days overlaid on top of each other. I like to do this because I like to narrow in on what is considered to be the best day, the day where time and range is highest. And the Dexcom Clarity Reports do a great job of showcasing this with the idea that let's talk about that day, let's focus on the positive and try to repeat the actions, the behaviors that led to that day where time and range was so high. I think sometimes people can get sensitive about their data because they feel like they're being nitpicked, like, oh, you did this wrong, you went low here, you went high here. But if we can focus on the positive and try to replicate that, that tends to work out very well with the interpretation. And I would also like to refer our audience to the International Consensus Report on Clinical Targets for CGM Data that was published in Diabetes Care in 2019. Now, the standardized CGM metrics outlined in this report include the number of days the CGM was worn, the percentage of time the CGM was active, mean glucose, glycemic variability as determined by coefficient of variation or standard deviation, time in hyperglycemia, so above 180 and above 250 milligrams per deciliter, time in range between 70 and 180, time in hypoglycemia, so that's below 70 and below 54. And this report outlines the generally recommended targets for people living with type 1 or type 2 diabetes, those that are older or higher risk and living with type 1 or type 2 diabetes, pregnant women with type 1 diabetes, and pregnant women either with gestational diabetes or type 2 diabetes. And I find it really useful to refer to this report, and you can compare your patient's metrics to these recommended ranges. Now, for example, so if you have a person living with type 1 or type 2 diabetes who are not at high risk, the generally recommended targets are a time and range above 70% and a time low less than 70 of less than 4% and a time less than 54 of less than 1%. Now, if you have a patient who is older or higher risk, the generally recommended targets are a time and range of above 50% and time less than 70 of less than 1% with no time less than 54. So if you have an individual who is outside of the recommended metrics, then that provides a good discussion point for considering medication or behavior changes. Dr. Kastenlein, can you describe for us the reimbursement for CGM interpretation? Certainly, yeah. There are a few different codes that can be used for CGM interpretation. And the most common one, the one that we bill most frequently at the office is the 95251 code, which is the straight data interpretation code. So if a person is using either a professional or a personal use device, when you have at least three days worth of information with appropriate data, you can review that, bill that code, and be compensated for it. You're allowed to, I think, use that code right about once per month, no more frequently than that. In addition, there is the 95250 code, which is the code that covers the professional use device, which includes for the costs associated with the clinic for actually using the device. So there is some cost for getting the unit, and the compensation for that is a little bit higher but it includes the price of the unit. And again, you do need sufficient data for it to be reimbursable. And it's got to be at least 72 hours worth. 
And Dr. Isaacs, do you have anything to add to that? No, that describes it pretty well. So with our shared medical appointment model, we're using the 95250 and 95251. And just want to add that the reimbursement is really pretty good on it, where we definitely net a good profit from doing these classes. And most people have coverage. When we verify insurance benefits, I would say 99% of people have the insurance coverage for the professional CGM if they have diabetes. And then in addition to that, every once in a while, a prior authorization may be required, but that's a pretty rare exception. Usually the coverage is very, very good. And we've even had people without diabetes who have hypoglycemia that we've been able to even use these devices for and get coverage for. Excellent. Well, thanks to both of you. Dr. Kastelink, any final remarks you'd like to make today? Sure. First of all, thanks for having me on this. I was hoping that as a result of hearing this, folks would get the sense that CGM is clearly something that we should all be using quite a bit in our patients. It has a beneficial effect in terms of glucose control, both in the short and the long term in our type 1s and our type 2s. And the number of patients that would really get some benefit from it is almost all of The usage is easy, it's well covered by insurance companies, and this is something that we really need to start making a standard of care across the board. Thank you. And Dr. Isaacs? Yeah, well, thanks also for having me. It's been great to be here today, and I echo that feedback as well. CGM is an amazing tool, and every person with diabetes should have access to it. Professional CGM allows even more people who may not have been able to get a personal CGM or maybe who just had reservations because they recall what the technology was like 20 years ago and don't realize how advanced and how amazing it has become now. I especially love the unblinded professional CGM because my patients learn so much in the time that they wear it that I don't really have to do much. They've already seen everything. They've learned so much. And with the current device, it now does not require calibration, so it's very easy to use. And so I'm definitely a big advocate and trying to encourage more people to really take advantage of this amazing tool, utilize it in your practice, and there's even reimbursement opportunities with it. Well, I want to thank you both for your time today and for the excellent discussion. Thank you. Thank you.